0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bringing the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT is here with us today. JT, how was the bad week for you? Uh,
1: it was pretty good. I actually got to see some high school football. Got to see oh, yeah.
0: my, my hometown team beat a uh,
1: team up from around here where I live and go to the sectional round of the Kansas playoffs for the first time since I was a year old. So That was pretty cool. There you go.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice. And so we're here today. This is, uh, I should say this is Monday night. So as of right now, Farmageddon is still on. can't say it's going like to I will say it's Saturday, hopefully. So we brought on Danny Lahan from the Des Moines Register, friend of the podcast. Danny,
2: good to have you back. Yeah, you know, it's 2020 and I'm here. Uh, that, that's that's about all <laughs> I've got for you. That, that seems like a victory in and of itself. And if we get to kick off on Saturday, that'll feel like the second small victory, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it seems like I think I saw the latest reporting from the Des Moines Register said that K-State is right on the cusp as far as uh, available players and hoping they're going to be able to play. I don't know. Have you guys heard
2: anything beyond that? No, uh, I mean, it, you know, for as bad as the situation in Iowa is, you know, we're among a per capita basis in the top five of highest positivity rates over the last 14 and 21 days, both. So, I mean, everything's spiking around here, but somehow that's not spreading its way into the Iowa State Athletic Department or the football program. Jamie Pollard, the athletic director, announced Earlier this morning, that there's only one positive test out of 420 for the entire Iowa State Athletic Department, and there was nothing this weekend, and they tested 280, you know, athletes and staff. So they're either getting real lucky or they're doing something right. We haven't heard anything more than what you guys might have, but uh, I mean, Chris Klein has been pretty open from on all the press conferences that I've heard talking about what position groups have been a struggle, and he seems to be as much of an open book as you can be about this situation. So I think we're all going to find out yeah. at the same time if there's more issues. Yeah.
0: K-State and Iowa State, to this point, have been lucky enough that they've been able to play all their game. It can be said for a lot of people. So, but yeah, go ahead, JT. Uh, I was just
1: going to say, we, I mean, there's been a, a couple games already this season where, you know, it's it's come down, you know, he, he's talked about it's come down to the, the Friday tests before they could play. I think uh, even like the OU game, it was – well we won't know until friday if it's going to get played so i some of that i think is just you know the the testing cycle and and what it is but and, and i think there might even be a little gamesmanship going on there like this it's, it's kind of nebulous like well we may play we may not play and see if iowa state's not fully focused on the game he's he's mm-hmm. shown he's not above that so yeah you, know, you can't be quite 100% sure
2: No, Mm -hmm. but I would think, too, though, that if Iowa State is not focused in a year in which, number one, they're coming off of their other bye week right now, and number two, they can look, and if they win the right two out of the last three games in this little three-game pod that has split up the Big 12 conference season, they're finding their way into Arlington. So if motivation is an issue for the Cyclones up here, then I don't really know when this group (laughs) is ever going to be motivated over the course of the next three weeks. True. True.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there was some other news on that. I believe it was today that they announced the Big School championship game will be held December nineteenth. So, I guess that does mean that if this game were to get postponed, they could play on December twelfth, and still, you know, both wouldn't affect uh, teams' eligibility in the championship game or anything like that. So, yeah, because who? That's because they got that insurance policy.
2: <laughs> who who wouldn't love waiting another month to come up to Ames, Iowa, and play a football game outdoors? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. So and then so just to, just to update people on the number, JT, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I think they said K-State's up to 76 for the year that have tested positive, and then I think I thought I saw like 20 at one point that they said in the last couple of weeks, but then I saw a number that was more like 11. Um, and I um, said it was a lot of the younger players, a lot of practice players.
1: I think what I saw from Kellis Robinette at the star slash Eagle was a dozen players positive and 78 oh, no. total on the year. But again, like you said, I might have to double check. It's it, the numbers kind of fluctuate a little bit. And some of that's guys coming off and coming on. And, but I just know it's uh it's been kind of a mess the last few weeks, just like it is everywhere else. Yeah.
0: And so, I mean, if they do play a game, Danny, what is the the crowd policy like in Ames? How many fans can we expect?
2: Well, I mean, they've been taking it on a game-by-game basis, and I don't really know how exactly any fresh mandates from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds might affect this. But as of this current recording, they had been at 25% capacity uh, and rotating everything through season ticket holder, you know, priority points like most other schools have, have done. Jack Trice seats roughly 60,000, so you do the math, and that means around 15,000 have been allowed inside of the stadium. They don't do tailgating or anything like that. The parking lots open up 90 minutes before game time, and they shoo everybody out pretty quickly after that. But if nothing else changes, that would be what you'd expect. I don't know. It sounded, at least over the TV, I mean, they've – I don't know if they've put extra mics out for these games that actually do have crowds, but it hasn't sounded – as wimpy as you might think a stadium that's a quarter full might sound. I don't know if they've been like mixing in okay. some of their other sounds with that, but I've been pleasantly surprised, I guess, of what a relatively game-like atmosphere has, has come in over the broadcasts when I haven't been there.
0: Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it's a one o'clock game on Fox. Uh, do we know who's announcing that game?
2: Well, 3 PM, 3 PM, 3 PM, real people time here right. in the central part of the All right. show. My bad. <laughs> As long as it's
1: not Brando, yeah. I don't care. Anybody but Brando. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, he's been that. that oh, those two have been a mess this year. It, it's wild. They've been throwing yeah. them on pack. I'm. I'm. While we keep talking, I'll look to my little nerd board site that has some of these. Uh, been, <laughs> okay. Uh, see if see if anybody has uh, if if anything's been announced on that yet. But oh nope, yep, Brando and Tillman. Lucky oh up. god, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dude, you do.
0: Uh, that's, our, that's our real-time oh. reaction right there. <laughs> Man, that's rough. Look okay. at this.
2: He did look, the, the the mere mentioning of Tim Brando just to, a poor guy just just ground this entire podcast to a halt. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Next. All topic.
0: right. All right. Yeah, let's go ahead to <laughs> the actual football, the game and I you know, I feel like we got to start with Brock Purdy cuz he's just been kind of a uh, kind of bipolar for lack of a better term. The, the Baylor game was the perfect example of that. He had a horrible first half, but then pulled together enough in the second half to figure it out. Kind of, you know, what's his deal? Why why is he good sometimes and then really really bad some other times? Uh <laughs>
2: I mean that's certainly the million-dollar question within uh, Matt Campbell's uh, coaching staff. I, I, I have to think. I mean, ten touchdowns and six interceptions mm-hmm. is not exactly the ratio that I know they were expecting from someone who everybody seemed to widely believe was at least you know a top three quarterback in this league, especially with the experience level that he has. I mean, his completion percentage is fine; it's sixty-two percent. And the offensive line is relatively stable. I mean, Matt Campbell has long said that the offensive line was one of his biggest projects that was going to have to be overhauled when he arrived in Ames, but that's five years ago now. And the unit has had some injuries, but nothing that would be a catastrophic, you know, we got to patch this together every week sort of deal. I, I think you're just seeing a off season from a talented player. And what that means is that, He does exactly what you've seen. Uh, Now, when you don't know what you're going to get, I certainly think that that alarms a lot of people, whether you be fans or coaches or whomever. But the bottom line is the rest of the Big 12, I think, has been scattershot enough to where it hasn't really bitten Iowa State in the rear end as much as it might have in previous years. That Baylor game is a case in point. You know, They got down 14, but they were able to respond. It's a matter of... Iowa State just, it has the talent to contend at the top of this league. The record obviously shows that. But there's a mystery component of this elixir that says, where is this complete game? Where is this four quarters of solid football from the Cyclones? And I don't really think that you could make too many arguments that there's been more than one performance on that level. And that was the Oklahoma game. And even then the defense had probably its worst Mm -hmm. outing of the season, giving up 30 points in that 37-30 victory over the Sumers back in late September. <laughs> They're a much bigger mystery, I think, than their record would tell you. Now, I know that that doesn't necessarily mean that Kansas State can expect to walk in with its own depletion issues and and expect <laughs> to win, but Iowa State isn't like a well-oiled machine just in here ready for the slaughter every week. It's far from that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and K-State, I mean, has definitely seen some of the the good and bad from Brock Purdy. He wasn't great last year. Two years ago, he was pretty good through, for, I think, 300-some yards, but still two interceptions even in that game, which is a loss for, for Kansas State. It'll be interesting. I think Kansas State's defensive line has been really good this year, so it'll be interesting to see if they can get pressure on him, what, what they can do. So maybe make him throw uh, one of those falling
2: down interceptions again or something. Yeah, well, and then backwards too. It was, uh, yeah. That was yeah. Uh, that was that was one of those that was one of those low lights that even your hardest core fanboy uh, up here <laughs> explain away and wanted to groan about. That was something against TCU. Holy mackerel! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then is
0: how how good does Iowa State actually need Brock Purdy to be with the way that Brees Hall is playing right now. I mean, he's kind of exploded. You know, how how much of a surprise was that? Or were they they expecting this kind of breakout season from him?
2: I mean, he's a four-star recruit. And Matt Campbell has a pretty good track record of finding talent at the running back position. I mean, you can look at, no matter what you want to say about, you know, how they've comported themselves in the National Football League. I mean, Kareem Hunt is a fantastic, pure talent. David Montgomery has shown a lot of flashes, even though he hasn't been healthy for the Bears since he was drafted a couple years ago. Brees Hall's in that mode. I mean, he kind of has the, he's a good mix of the the speed that Kareem Hunt would bring along with the power and the shiftiness that David Montgomery has. And Brees Hall has elements of both of those and has really been able to show it in the sense of, I mean, gosh, he's over a thousand yards for the year already. Um, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: He's the real deal. He is absolutely every bit. uh, He's, I would say to you that, that Matt Campbell and staff probably thought that, Brees Hall could play this well, but that this would be around the upper, the upper bound. He is living up to every bit of his advertised potential. And that's why, I mean, he would be on the very outside looking in of a, of a Heisman track, certainly a finalist for Doak Walker award. And if he sticks around and and plays again next year, I mean, he would be one of those like have to be one of those landmark players around which the entire conference would be building and saying, oh, look, here's Brees Hall on your preseason watch list for X, Y, and Z. There's just no weakness in his game.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I think he's been over 100 yards every game. I, I believe the four and a half yards per carry he had against Baylor was actually his lowest number of the season. About that. So he's been really good. And like you said, he was a high-rated recruit, a four-star out of to Northwest. Kansas State, I think, was the second team to offer him after Iowa State, but, you know, he never went on a visit to K-State. And uh, JT, I mean, you can kind of talk more about what Kansas State, how they failed on that one. Yeah, I mean, one of the most clear
1: indications of how bad Snyder was recruiting there those last few years, that the way things had changed in the recruiting landscape around him and that he just did not want to change So the the big story is essentially that, you know, K-State offered him and he was, he was very interested and might, might very well have wanted to stay in state, but, you know, essentially once the season started, K-State backed off completely because Snyder's, you know, was dead set on focusing on the season. And that was true of any recruit, you know, uh, basically every recruit they, they backed off on and Iowa State didn't and Matt Campbell, you know, made the Matt Campbell push and, you know, he committed to Iowa state. And by the time Chris Kleiman showed up, it was, it was far too late. You know, Brees mm-hmm. was, was already, you know, a hundred percent on board with Iowa state and there was nothing he could do about it to get him you know back to Manhattan. So yeah. And, and even last year, you know, he, he looked pretty solid in 2019. He wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, he was already turning heads and was like, man, you know, we should have gotten that guy. And then this year it's just been ridiculous. He's just blown mm-hmm. up.
0: Yeah, and and Danny, I mean, I wonder, uh, is Brees the kind of kid who, who talks about that at all? I mean, do you think this game holds anything extra special for
2: him? Uh, I mean, I think the, these types of games are always on kids' radars, whether they're going to say it or not, uh, in, in terms of just it's, it's there in the background. Brees Hall has not really been one to talk too much about holding personal grudges one way or the other. The most that really comes up is during his freshman season, he just really talked about how he needed to understand and accept that he wasn't going to be getting the lion's share of carries in any given game if he didn't put his head down and take care of the business that Matt Campbell and the rest of the coaching staff wanted him to take care of. And ever since then, he's come across as a pretty mature, level-headed, Put my nose to the grindstone type of running back. And there's not really been any issues since. That doesn't mean that he isn't going to run with, you know, some extra air of authority on Saturday. I mean, there might be that, but I don't think that that will be the reason why he rushes for 200 yards as opposed to the average of 147 that he does. Mm-hmm. I just think he's seen his talent shine through this year so much that that will be its own confidence builder and continuing his. High level of play will be the biggest sort of motivation that he needs,
0: yeah, so what you're saying he's he's got the kind of workmanlike approach that we like to think would fit in pretty well at Kansas state right? <laughs> uh,
2: uh, i mean <laughs> i suppose I suppose from that attitude standpoint, maybe, but yeah. there's a little more mm-hmm. there's a little more flash in down there deep than what might traditionally. Yeah. Hold the non-Darren Sproles crowd who has uh, run through at at the back. Mm-hmm. little well, Deuce, I mean Deuce's Deuce is, Deuce is, yeah. so.
0: Deuce is kind of Darren Sproles light for now. Although not so much lately. I don't know. He's got a well. He needs more help offensively. I think is the help biggest is, issue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. So I guess you know it, to the extent that anyone has been able to slow brace hall down and again not many people really have but has anything been effective in is containing him
2: a little bit no next question (laughs) 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 to to be a little less flippant i mean you've got to you you've just got to be able to you you've got to be able to get penetration and have solid fundamental tackling without having to stack the box because if you stack the box, well, then that is when you allow Brock Purdy to not have to run around for his life when you aren't pressuring with a whole bunch of people. And then they will find ways to beat you with Charlie Kohler and
0: the rest uh-huh. of the wide receiver
2: core, you know, but truthfully, no, I mean, it, no, no one's been able to stop him. That's why he's got at a, at 150 yards, you have to just be fundamentally assignment sound and go out and play above yourself. But the good news is, is that that's kind of one of those things that Kansas state teams both in the past and at least in this small sample size of a year and a half under Chris Kleiman. I mean, they they seem to rise to the occasion in these spots more often than they haven't.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so you mentioned, I mean, the wide receiver core right now, the by far the leading receiver for Iowa State is Xavier Hutchinson, the Juco kid. It went to, I think he went to, to where Michael Bishop went to school, then Juco. And so, you know, what does he kind of provide for them? Is he a, a deep threat type of guy?
2: Uh, I mean, he's got three touchdowns. The long was 65 yards. My quick math says that he's averaging just a little more than eleven yards per catch. If you're looking for someone yeah. who would be more of a deep threat, you would want to go to Joe Skates, who's been in the program longer, or even Landon Acres, who's a name that hasn't really popped up much on the radar screen before this year. It's a bit of a by committee approach. I mean, but but to be honest with you, I mean, you just look at those receiving touchdown totals, it's twelve or it's eleven for the entire group. Ten from Purdy and then yeah. one on a trick play. I, you're just not Iowa State is a little more ball control disciplined not just because Brees Hall's their best player but also because they've lost a lot of NFL caliber talent in the last couple of years between Hakeem Butler, Alan Lazard you know go down the list a little bit so it's a bit more of a measured approach on all sides of the ball really for Iowa State and for the most part I think that's served them well.
0: Yeah and I just said tied for third big receptions per game but i feel like that's almost as much of an indictment as the the rest of the big 12 receivers after tylen wallace as as it is anything else so and then is, is kohler you know being the tight end is he a guy they like to look to in the red zone a lot
2: i wouldn't i mean no more than necessarily anybody else i where i would say that kohler is the is at his biggest threat is oh man it's third and eight time and I'm Brock Purdy and I've got a rush that's come in that that that's come in and sent me scrambling a little bit out of the pocket. Half of your throws or more are going to be, oh man, where was Charlie Kohler on this route and I'm going to force the issue and watch him try and make a catch. It hasn't always worked. I mean, he only has 23 receptions on the season. But I mean, it's coming from a tight end spot to the point of where almost any time he's catching the ball it seems to have been in a pretty old reliable sort of situation. I don't really think that I would be any more worried about him down closer to the goal line than I necessarily would in a move-the-chains fashion, probably. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, JT, I mean, given what we've seen from Kansas State's rush defense this year hasn't been great, and, you know, what we've seen from the second day, how how would you go about, you know, trying to focus on, on Brees Hall, but also making sure that Brock Purdy doesn't have too many openings? Yeah, they're definitely going to have to get
1: a lot of pressure from the front four, and hope that those guys can block enough of the running lanes to allow the somewhat, you know, mobility limited Justin Hughes to get up and make some plays. And it's not just Hughes either. I mean, the the linebackers have been the weak point of the defense, and the defense has been really solid all year. I mean, even against Oklahoma State, LD Brown was bottled up, and Luddy Brown didn't look, you know, as good as he did. I know for West Virginia. And so, you know, they've had some success, you know, the the biggest key is, is limiting the the big plays, you know, those explosive 20 yard, 20 to, you know, 60 yard runs, like the one that they gave up against Oklahoma state that led to their only offensive touchdown. You know, if if you can limit those and, and even, you know, the passing plays the same way, but limit those big, long running, running plays, then, you know, the more hits you can get on Brees Hall, the more, you know, keep that yard per carry down. You know, it's it's gonna mm-hmm. force them force them into long fields, but but yeah, the front's gotta hold their lanes. They've gotta force, you know Brees out to a safety or something where you know they can get some more bodies or push them to the sideline, you know, get that extra defender of the sideline in
0: there. But it's it's definitely gonna be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now uh, we'll take a quick ugly uh, other side of the ball. But let's take a quick commercial break first, and we're back. So Dan, I think we got to start on defense. Iowa State's allowing that the fewest yards per carry of any team in the Big Twelve. Obviously, that's K State's strength, and then the way that teams have been able to stop this offense is by shutting down Deuce Vaughn. I mean, what what's made this Iowa State defense so tough against the run this year?
2: Well, I think it's just a it's a program staple at this point. I mean. You know, yeah, everyone. We we've talked about Brees Hall. We've talked about Brock Purdy, and we've mentioned the NFL talent, the wide receiver position. Excuse me. But buried around that is that each of the last three years, Iowa State's had a top four defense in the Big Twelve. Now, some years it hasn't really meant very much, but John Haycock, who is the uh, defensive coordinator, I mean, he knows what he's doing. There is fundamentally sound as any group in the entire big 12. And they did it by introducing a confusing setup a couple of years ago that they've kept to with, you know, more folks sitting around back in the secondary and getting pressure with fewer folks up at the tackle position this season. The strength comes from, in my opinion, anyway, from leadership at the linebacker spot, Mike Rose is just everywhere on the field. He has 10 more tackles than anybody else on the team. He has, 35 solo tackles among his 56 on the year. Orion Vance is another real strong portion of that running back core. And then you have folks like Greg Eisworth who's just sit back there and are pretty reliable guys at the safety spot. And, you know, in, in addition to that, everyone wants to forget about Jaquan Bailey, who needed half a sack to set the all-time Iowa State school record, at, which was only at like 19 or 20. I mean, it's not like we're talking about Throwing ticker tape parades here for breaking this record, but I mean he's as talented as a defense as a pass rusher as and 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 frankly a, a a hole filler as Iowa State's had really ever. And he's got five sacks this year. That allows him to just tee off when the time is right. There's not a lot of you know I, I mentioned that there's a lot not a lot of weaknesses in Brees Hall's individual game. I kind of think that the biggest strength that Iowa State shows for the most part is that there really aren't a whole lot of fundamental weaknesses across the board for the Cyclones there. They're just very assignment sound, and they know that their mission is to muddy up the game and to pretty much let the offense try to dictate the pace, and then they come in there with counter punches on the other end. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just to back up what you're saying with with some stats, Bailey is second in the Big 12 in sacks and tackles for loss. Mike Rose, a little more than eight tackles a game, puts him at third in the Big 12. He's also the only player in the Big 12 with three interceptions this season. I mean, is he the type of guy that, that will be matched up against Bradley Moore, the tight end for K-State, or uh he, yeah, could be, stuff. I mean,
2: he could be my memory my memory seems to serve that he's just kind of been Johnny on the spot for okay. for, for <laughs> those for those moments i mean that but look i mean you've got to be you got to be in the right yep. spot and he is as mentally sharp as he is physically talented i mean he knows where he needs to be in order to make the key play at the right time so there's a reason why he's got 3 interceptions but i'm not sitting here telling you that i mean I mean, look, a guy who's got fifty six tackles. It's not because a lot of them are coming from him being dropped into pass coverage a lot uh, uh, more any more than yeah. He, yeah. Know, a yeah, linebacker would, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, I don't think we needed to know anything about the Iowa State defense, JT, to know that K State's gonna have to be better passing the ball to move on offense. You yeah, know, what what, man, what, what can they do to kind of get where well, are going?
1: Well, it's yeah. it's gonna be rough. I mean, they've they've got to figure out how to get Deuce Vaughn, back open in the passing game because I mean, the wide receivers yeah. have been a mess this year. And some of that's just because, you know, they, they dealt with injuries and stuff, but some of it's been, you know, even guys that should be, you know, star players have not looked like it. You know, they want to get the tight ends more involved in the passing game, but we're quickly losing tight ends. Bradley Moore, you know, should be, you know, right up there with the, you know, And it is one of the best tight ends in the league. But, of course, he got hurt against West Virginia, didn't play last week against Oklahoma State. And now it's, you know, it's still after the bye week. Well, he might play, he might not play. You know, if if he plays, the offense is better because the defense has to account for him in the passing game. Just, you know, very similar to Kohler with Iowa State or, you know, you look at the pros, guys like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. Defenses have to figure out where those guys are. They have to put a safety on them. Which opens up the back end of the off, you know, the, the defense for other receivers. And, you know, without him in that, what K State wants to do is is severely limited. And I think we've seen that some with what's happened with Deuce Vaughn or what happened with him against Oklahoma State. So without that, you know, presence pulling linebackers out of the middle and a guy like Moore, then there's just no room for Vaughn to, to get open. So, They've got to find somebody that can do that. And hopefully, you know, for a K State, that means Bradley Moore's back and is, is healthy. But it's it's definitely gonna be very, very rough if if the drop struggles continue, if if Will Howard can't get that ball down, you know, he's gotta stop overthrowing receivers. And you know, it's you can definitely tell that uh, we've got a true freshman quarterback throwing to a bunch of guys that aren't aren't really all there all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the one the one piece of good news, of course, is Iowa State. Those are the two best pass defenses in the Big Twelve, and that seems to be kind of the vulnerability, maybe, of this Iowa State defense. Only KU has the worst pass defense efficiency this season. So, I mean, what's the way that teams are beating Iowa State through the A- eight?
2: Well, it's nothing special. I, I again, I I would tell you that you know the the relative weakness of the efficiency in the passing game is more product of the fact that they know they can't run the ball. Um, and so you're going to pass a lot more. I wish I had uh, at my fingertips ratio of run to pass, but you know, teams for the most part have been behind against Iowa state more than they haven't with the Baylor game being the exception, uh, last week. I mean, Oklahoma was wanting to throw the ball all over the place. Texas Tech was behind two scores from the very beginning back in early October before the first round of the buys came through. I just think that people know coming in that you have to pass the ball. And so it's more of a buy volume approach, I guess, than anything else. Iowa State's a little weak at the corner position. They're more vulnerable there than they are in the middle. And we talked about Rose. As I was trying to think back, Mike Rose was the Was the player who intercepted Charlie Brewer on the fourth down in the end zone to preserve the game against Baylor a couple of weeks ago? Uh, And we mentioned Eisworth, who kind of is a clog in the middle of the field and kind of the floor general of the back half of the secondary. But the corner position has been one where there's been a lot more rotation. If you've got people who can get to the sideline and can throw and, and can be receiving those sort of deeper out patterns, uh, maybe not so much streaking down the field for huge gains, but if you can get someone in the middle, Iowa State has been susceptible to the fall asleep sort of big play. Not the one that ends up in a 70-yard touchdown, but one that allows people to get behind the defense, and then you go from a 20 to the 20 and suddenly find yourself in business. I guess that's where I would say if there's if there seems to be a weakness there, it's that sometimes the secondary wants to just fall asleep for no apparent reason. <laughs> Mm-hmm.
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see what, what kansas state can do on that. when we you know we talked about some of the, the k-state guys that are, are questionable and then obviously who knows what, with the covid stuff um does Iowa state have any injuries or any guys that you don't know that they're coming back yet after the bye week or how, how healthy are they right now
2: no they're pretty healthy i mean we just talked about earlier on about the covid situation i mean They've had the the entire flight department's had a less than 1% uh, test positivity rate for the entire season. So they're as close to knocking on all cylinders as they possibly can. It's a pretty clean roster right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean,
0: I guess kind of looking big picture, Iowa State sort of in in the position where they've been before, where, like you said, they're, you know, I think they've proven that, that they're up there. The teams, you know, with any, they can compete with anybody in this conference. They got the big win against Oklahoma, but it it always seems to be, for whatever reason, they fall just short of kind of that that 10-win mark and getting up there. I know K-State fans like to to make fun of Ohio State for that sometimes. But, I mean, at the same time, obviously, Matt Campbell has raised the level of the program. But have they gotten to the point yet where there's some frustration, where they're not quite contending for titles yet and and getting to that next year?
2: Well, I think this was this was the year to be talking about mm-hmm. all that. This, this has been the inflection point. There was maybe, I think the way that, the, the way that 2019 ended, I mean, it, I was down there. We were spread so thin over the course of, of Thanksgiving last year that I actually kind of stepped away from my usual role and covered the, the game down in Manhattan in that crazy sort of not blizzard blizzard. Um, yeah, that was a very we- weird game. That occurred. I mean, in Iowa, I mean the, the, the weather was a factor, but to be honest, K-State just punched Iowa State in the mouth last year, and Iowa State played awful. I, and, and, you know, they lost four out of their last six games, got creamed by Notre Dame in the bowl game. It was really more of a factor of they sputtered to the finish line. And I think that's kind of been what has fans at least nervous about how this season was going to go. For as much as we make you know, name jokes about Farmageddon with this rivalry, I mean, Iowa State <laughs> takes pretty big pride in that since Purdy's gotten here, they have a Brocktober sort of uh, <laughs> moniker and they're 12-1, and I think, in the 13 October games that Brock Purdy has been a part of over the course of the three seasons. You know, that So they're used to making that sort of surge and then November hits and there just always seems to be that WTF sort of loss that appears. And frankly, it sure looked like for a long time that Baylor was going to be a repeat yeah. performance of that. And so if there's been any difference, I guess, so far this year, it's that this team has found a way to overcome itself. I mean, it, yeah. it, they are their own greatest adversity a lot of the times, it seems. And this team just has sort of that, I don't know if it's as simple as they now expect to win and they have a hunger that other teams in an Iowa state uniform haven't or whether Matt Campbell has them believing or whether, frankly, they just are just as talented in a down big 12, which I would think that that's actually probably the reason Um, there, there is no, this was going to be the season that did not necessarily make or break Matt Campbell's tenure here. I mean, people are still in love with him, but I think it would have the tone of the conversation of how capable is Matt Campbell of actually leading Iowa State to this promised land that they've never been to before, which is even reaching a conference title game. That narrative could have taken a hit this year, and I guess it still could. I mean, we got three long games left to go. And they lost the opener to Louisiana, I mean, in that opening weekend where it was, you know, the the Sun Belt Mafia came in and and just (laughs) forgot it. (laughs) <laughs> but, but I, I mean, so that kind of set Iowa State back to a point of where, oh, people were already all depressed about them. Well, then they ran off and, you know, they ran off four straight games and were at least in the picture against Oklahoma State down in Stillwater to the last two minutes or so of the game, despite really not playing very well. And they've pulled their feet out of the fire. I mean, I mentioned before at the top of this interview that it doesn't really feel like that they've put a complete four quarters together which I guess is, in a weird way, one of the biggest backhanded compliments I can give this team. They haven't really seemed to click on all cylinders, but for most of that Oklahoma game, I guess you'd say. And we're sitting here talking about them at 5-2 and and alone atop the Big 12 at 5-1 and with their destiny clearly in front of them with three games to go against West Virginia, Texas, and Kansas State. I think they would have signed up for that on Labor Day. So it's kind yeah. of it's prove it time. And I think that's why to the point of where you guys were talking about, oh, well, why don't I think that Iowa State might be a little sleepy coming off of its bye week or whatever? I, it's just because they've the goal has never been more tangible for them. And yeah. now yeah. it's just time for them to go see if they can earn it. And that will have to be a huge motivator for them.
0: Yeah, I guess those late-season struggles are kind of Texas A&M-esque, and then you got A&M this year also maybe looking like they're going to overcome that.
2: Well, the other thing, and and, and we have to to see if this will play itself out, but one narrative that came through last month that I found kind of interesting is that players and coaches alike were talking about that they seemed that players were tired, that they had been maybe not overworked is not the right word in practice, but for some reason, whatever it was, that they just didn't seem to have the energy in the final last couple of conference games in each season and that that was just a problem. And in a weird way, they found that the COVID protocols, less amount of time banging pads and doing a lot more of scheme-based work has actually made them feel quite fresh when it's come to game time, and they feel like they've been taking advantage of that for the most part. That has to bear itself out, I guess, in these last three weeks of the regular season, but they have been players and coaches alike have not been shy about mentioning that as a, as a positive factor. And that's made its way into the strength and conditioning room uh, as well. They've kind of totally revamped the way that they work their players during game weeks. Then I guess the proof will be in the pudding from between now and early December.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering, I have a hypothetical. If you were to ask Iowa state fans that they would rather, you know, keep up this winning seasons every year um which you know obviously was better than they were doing before Matt Campbell arrived or if you were to say oh you can have like one 10 to 11 win season maybe get to a Big 12 title but then you have losing seasons like the other two years and you have that cycle every 3 years which do you think that,
2: that the fans would choose I mean I can't I'm not an Iowa State fan I mean I'm not an Iowa <laughs> native uh, so right. I I mean even even though I've lived here for 8 years now and feel like I have somewhat of a pulse on things they have just been so starved for any bit of good news that I think they would give up quite a bit to smell a Big 12 football championship that has just felt like it's been so out of reach. I don't know if this is the perfect parallel, but I mean, I I can tell you that as a lifelong Kansas City Royals fan, I am not disappointed (laughs) that 2014 and 2015 turned into two World Series appearances and one championship, and then everything just kind of seemed to fall off the face of the earth for the next five years. I can't say that I'm sitting here in 2020 like, thrilled about the way that the franchise's future is going yeah. but the is it a is what happened five and six years ago so i kind of think yeah. that at this point since it's uh, you can't really complain about what the the cost before or after would be if you've never been there like iowa state fans have been but i don't think that they would complain either yeah. just because they are i mean they're rabid they are hungry i think they just want to not be in shadow for once
1: so they're just no, they're,
2: they're gonna be happy with whatever comes if it does come for them.
1: Uh, Iowa State fans have to be a little worried though, this may not be the best year for Campbell to to finally win the championship because you know I, I have this strong feeling like like Michigan might actually fire Jim Harbaugh this year and Matt Campbell would <laughs> certainly be on their radar with a with a Big Twelve championship. And Michigan has the kind of money to come in and, and swoop a guy
2: like that away. Sure, but, I mean, this is, feels yeah. like I, – I think this is the third time I've been on this podcast with you guys, and I think it's been a question every time. Like, oh, where's Matt Campbell going to be going after this? Year? That's, that's not to say that he won't one of yeah. these times. It's certainly a fair question. But To be fair, you're... I'm also worried about Michigan stealing
1: Chris Kleiman when they fired Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. So it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> – a question of if Michigan will. I, I know they will. It's just like who, which one of those guys are they going to come after harder? <laughs>
2: Right. I, I I think, again, it's one of those deals of where you know that this is the deal that you're getting yourself into if you've got a hot up-and-coming coach in your program that has the history that Iowa State has. I mean, will they be sad? Sure. But they've been conditioned to potentially expect this for the last three seasons, and it hasn't. Matt Campbell has put his money where his mouth is in terms of saying that he really wants to build something here. And I, Michigan would be an incredibly difficult you know, name cachet to pass up. But I mean, the the signals that have come through here, Matt, Matt Campbell's a really savvy dude. And he knows that in Ames, Iowa, he has got pretty much everything rolled out on a red carpet for him. And that people are, especially now that they are coming through in this season of expectation, that, you know, he doesn't have to worry about very much or, or turning his shoulder. Uh, yeah. You don't get any sort of, yeah, I mean, look, if they, if everybody is willing to run Jim Harbaugh out of town, and rightfully so based on the the efforts that have been put forth this season, but if they're willing to turn on their own that fast, I mean, Michigan's brand is too big for any one person. You got to do have to do the calculus of, well, we're still in a pandemic. I don't know what college athletic budgets are going to be looking like. And do I really want to go there? I mean, he's an Ohio native as well, which I'm not saying that that would preclude him from coaching michigan as opposed to waiting for an ohio state job to open up someday or or something like that i just think there is a ton of unknowns heading into this pandemic off season when it comes Uh about how much money people have and and how much change really will be in the offing i would agree that harbaugh seems to be on his way out but what what is michigan going to be able to offer will it be enough to where matt campbell will be like yeah i'll take two and a half extra million dollars to suddenly have people with pitchforks outside my home the first time I (laughs) lose Michigan State. I I I don't know. It will be a fascinating discussion. Yeah. But I if you're worried about that as an Iowa State fan, well then you've kind of been in a coma for the last couple of years, as you said. (laughs) And I would much rather have that problem than be wondering if, you know, a certain potentially mind addled football coach down in Lawrence, Kansas is going to be staying a couple of years past his welcome. I, you know, I, <laughs> I would much rather be in the situation that Iowa state is in than many others in the big 12 right
0: now. Yeah. And I wonder too, I mean, Matt Campbell, you know, he's gotten a lot of good press as a charismatic recruiter and he's brought some good talent into Iowa state, but you know, they're still kind of mid-level big 12, which is great by Iowa state standards would be great back in state standard too but you know if he were to get up to that 10 or 11 win level could he even take that recruiting uh, up another notch you know at a place uh, like Iowa state um
2: i mean we can, we don't really know because it's never happened yeah. i realize that that's a top out answer but I, I do think that every school is its own unique recipe It did happen for a while at Kansas State after Bill Snyder broke through. I mean, I'm talking about Bill Mm -hmm. Bill Snyder Mm -hmm. 1.0 here. I I, look, I, I guess, I guess it could, but I don't really think that it's necessarily been a mission for Matt Campbell to go find a five star player. He seems to do his best work. Not necessarily. I'm not. I'm not trying to draw direct Bill Snyder comparisons here, but but he seems to like know which three and four star players he wants. And what seems to fit his program mission, and that he's better off kind of dealing with those personalities than he necessarily is having to rework the way that his offense would function on a certain basis in order to fit this, oh, number 41 overall recruit in the Mm -hmm. class of 2022, you know? And Ames is still Ames. I mean, one year or even two or three years of somewhat sustained success are not suddenly going to, you know, make the middle of Iowa, a sudden (laughs) lightning rod for all of these top players to go. I mean, I think he's going to have to just continue doing it the same way that he has. And frankly, I don't know why he would want to do it any other way because it's been pretty dang successful by Iowa state standards since he's arrived here.
0: Mm -hmm. Makes sense. JT, you have anything else before we put Danny on the spot and ask him to make a prediction?
2: Um, No.
0: Let's do well, it. What do you think, Danny? You
2: know, I, I was looking here earlier as we were talking and, and I kind of was curious what the spread was because I haven't looked yet this week. And in my mind I kind of thought that this was the type of game that Iowa State wins by about ten. And I saw that the spread was ten and a half. I don't think Iowa State runs away. Number one, they just really haven't shown that they are the type of team to do that if they aren't playing Kansas. And <laughs> frankly, Brock Purdy just hasn't put together like that complete game to where he just puts the floor down and it's 41 to 20 as you're looking up in the fourth quarter. Also, I I just nothing in Matt Campbell's history against Kansas state proves that he has necessarily been hitting on all cylinders as a play caller or as a game preparer against the wildcats. I mean, it was ultimate. It was, it was abundantly clear last year that Chris Kleiman was running circles around Matt Campbell in terms of, of preparation and even the one game against Kansas State that the Cyclones have won since Matt Campbell arrived required a th- comeback from a three-score second half deficit the last time these two teams met in Ames. So I I kind of think that this is a game where Kansas State hangs around, but I would think that between personnel that sits on the offensive side of the ball for Kansas State plus the fact that you have Brees Hall and the fact that Iowa State sees its prize. I think that the Cyclones find a way to just enough distance in the fourth quarter to not have to sweat this one with minutes to go. But I don't think they'll dominate. uh, 34-24. How about that?
0: Okay. That's reasonable. But JC, I think if any if we learned anything from Farmageddon over the years, it's that if you stay close to the end, anything can happen, right?
1: Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> it was gonna be something brutal, like a thirty to twenty eight win for K State and Iowa State loses on a last second field goal that, you know, just doinks wide right, you know, hits <laughs> hits the right goalpost and bounces out because that's just kind of the way Farmageddon
2: seems to to go. Now, if this were the regular season yeah. finale and Iowa State were one win against Kansas State away from, like, securing its place in the Big 12 championship game, maybe I'd uh, <laughs> jump on board with you with that. But uh, given that we still have two more whole weeks before Iowa State fans potentially get their hearts ripped out, I kind of think that there's a little bit of a better chance go support this time. <laughs>
0: that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And sadly, they are not yet playing for an official trophy. What's the what's the story on that? Why Why hasn't that happened
2: yet? Am I I, I supposed to provide you with a fountain of information here? I have no freaking idea. It's because the two administrations
1: are lame. That's why.
2: But I don't know. Throw throw a big combine in the middle of a platform. Have it kind of made to where it – and I'm I'm not a farmer, so I'm going to be really talking out of my area of expertise here. But you put some wheat on one side and you put some corn on the other side, and you have this like dual-purpose combine that can go and and mulch through both of those things. And there, you've got a trophy, done. <laughs> so, I mean, beyond that, you could. Right. Or beyond that, you could just put. Ah, never mind. I'm not going to say what else you could put on there because this game has just been <laughs> a, a. This game has been such a a a, a crap turd show on so many different occasions that. Uh, <laughs> That, that there's a, there's a lot of ways that you could go with it. Frankly, what about, okay, here. No, now I'm going to back up. Unless less farm centric trophy would be like, if I could take the shrugs emoji and just put it in bronze, that's what I would do because no one ever knows what the hell is going to happen in a farm and game. And you just get what you get.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds like great. a great trophy. It really
2: does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like it. Well, Danny, we appreciate you coming on. This is the part where we give you a chance to plug things. I know you kind of do a little bit of everything for Des Moines Register. People can follow you on Twitter at Danny Lahan, L-A-W-H-O-N. But you also have kind of gotten into to gambling news
2: and stuff, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, I am I work uh, on a freelance basis for a uh, Las Vegas-based fourth wagering magazine, uh, Gaming Today. If uh, we ever get through this pandemic and People go make their Vegas trips. It's a publication that sits in all the sports, all the big sports books around the strip. I cover about seven or eight states worth of sports wagering news. Kind of came out of nowhere when Iowa legalized everything about 18 months ago, and I've just picked up more and more responsibilities with that publication since. And I've got I've got people in Nebraska who are calling me wanting to know about whether sports wagering was going to be coming to the Corn Huster State because they finally allowed casino wagering for the first time in about 25 years in the election, uh, in their general election last week. So uh, sports wagering is coming everywhere in the Midwest, everywhere except one place, and I think we all know what that answer is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So you don't have any good news for our listeners on that front in Kansas? Kansas, you're not
2: close. There. okay uh all right well
0: sorry to end on that sad note but yeah (laughs) go ahead uh, you're looking forward forward to it that was a
2: heavy sigh there my friend that's a that's a 2020 2020 (laughs) special right there you could hear that you could hear that through the microphone
0: Yeah, hopefully we will get to watch a football game on Saturday. But we'll see. Also, it's possible the game will be postponed before this podcast is even online. So you up that shrugs emoji
2: trophy. We just don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see that would All that right, would well, make it even more today. perfect. If it got postponed and then, then it became that pivotal <laughs> game.
2: But then there you go. Maybe maybe it will be written in the uh in the fateful stars that way. Oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, if if if, 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 this, if this if potential more quarantines and just a, a winter indoors in cold Central Iowa wouldn't be enough to drive Central Iowans to drink right now. Having a Kansas State game rescheduled <laughs> to ruin their Big Twelve dreams would that have me getting out the special release scotch even well before it kick, kick off of that <laughs> Dear Lord, or I yeah, guess the or yeah. we'd upgrade from Bush Light to Bush Heavy around here. That there you that's go. Actually- probably happen
0: (laughs) yeah all right well thanks for coming on danny always appreciate it
2: yeah you bet Uh, everybody be safe and as we get closer to the holidays just everybody be sure that we're that we're all being careful and keeping everybody's consciousness in mind this is still a serious time and uh we all want to make sure that we're all celebrating with each other for a long long time to come so just just be careful whatever it is you're gonna do
0: yeah for sure, that's the smart advice you don't expect from the bring on the podcasts, but it's it's good, good stuff. So yeah, well, I, I, I've, got right. balance,
2: I've got to balance those shrug emojis with with something that's like real and personal. So, <laughs> it's there, so there you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, thanks, JT, for joining us as always. Yeah.